around and, and bring that in the next week or so, some different snacks that we can have to enjoy together while we're there at the convention. We're that. And not only that time, but looking forward to uh, being together and to enjoying uh, the presentation that the kids have worked on and all that goes along with Lads to Leaders. And we would appreciate your, your help, as we've said, certainly in prayer, but also in supporting us this way. Uh, if you can, we look forward to talking uh, to you uh, when we come back, the things that the kids have been working on and sharing that with you. Uh, Travis, I may be able to use this if you want to swap back to that. Uh, to go too far away here this afternoon or this morning. I forgot to mention this and put it in the title in your bulletin. I forgot to label the lesson this particular way. Uh, but earlier this year, we started, started a series of lessons that I entitled Sunday School Catch-Up. I also was thinking this week about it. We might also call it the Mountain Peak moments of the Old Testament, not necessarily that they're the greatest moments in all of Old Testament history, but when we open our Bibles and we think about the fact that the Old Testament is quite long and there's a lot that's included in there, it's not real easy just to tell someone what happened, what was going on. And so we go through often and we look for those mountaintop moments, those mountain peak moments. We started a while back with the creation we talked about the garden, that same lesson. We also talked a little bit about Noah. And it's true that when we go back and we think about the Old Testament, most of, especially the book of Genesis, is broke up into two major categories. What happened pre-flood, when we think about creation, and we think about the garden, and then what happened post-flood. Now again, that's not necessarily the whole Old Testament, obviously, but just as we think mainly about Genesis. We're going to begin this morning in talking about some of the things that happened post-flood. And there are really four men who played a large part in that. You know three of them as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're usually said together. But also we would tack on with them in the book of Genesis, Joseph. And we're not going to talk about Joseph this morning for the sake of time, but we're instead going to focus on these first three. Now, we've entitled these lessons Sunday School Catch-Up, and there may be things sometimes that you wonder about or you don't remember, or as the way this lesson, this series kind of came about was, there may be someone in the audience who didn't grow up going to Sunday school or Bible class, and so when they hear certain names, they look at things, they think, well, I don't know what the preacher's talking about, even though it seems like most everyone else does. If you've ever wondered where the name Israel came from, why they're called the children of Israel, then this lesson this morning may be for you. If you've ever wondered where Canaan is, why are we always talking about Canaan and where is Canaan and what does that mean, then maybe this lesson may be for you. I need a little help this morning from my lovely assistant. We're going to talk about our firstborn and firstborn children a lot this morning. And my firstborn gets picked on a lot because he's the easiest that I can give instructions to and tell him what to do. But we entitled this lesson Sunday School Catch-Up. And so I thought what would be very fun maybe for us this morning as we think about this is to actually go back as we did in Sunday school and have a little lesson on the flannel board. So turn that up. So we're going to talk this morning beginning with a man who goes by the name of Abraham. 
Now, you remember Abraham, right? Abraham was there, and it's going to be crooked, I know, but you'll just have to deal with it. Abraham was a man in the Old Testament who was found in the book of Genesis, beginning in chapter 12 and going through chapter 24. He's known most often as Father Abraham. Our children know that because we sing songs, don't we, about Father Abraham and things when we have our vacation Bible school. But there are so many, many things that happen with Abraham that we don't have time to talk about all of them this morning. We're going to have to focus on, as we've said, the mountain peak moments. And Abraham is just simply one of those within himself. We know that Abraham famously had a wife who went by the name of Sarah. And Sarah becomes his wife. And Abram, at the time in Genesis chapter 12, where I ask you to turn to, takes his wife and his family and he moves them from their homeland. And he moved them to where God told them. Now, when you think about Abraham and when he's first called Abram, we usually think of the word trust. Because when we meet Abram in Genesis chapter 12, he has to trust God. God tells him what to do and he has to go through with it. Again, we're not going to be able to pick out every story, but you know that in Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 17, when Abraham is told he's going to have a son, the son of promise, he laughs. He laughs at God and he says, I'm a hundred and she's 90. And you mean to tell us that we're going to have the son of promise? In Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 12, we see that Sarah then laughs when she learns about this plan because she has the same kind of thought. He's 100. I'm 90. What do you mean that we're going to now have this son of promise? But the son of promise is indeed born, right? In Genesis chapter 21, as we move along through the story, I'm going to mention the chapters to you for each man, but we're going to see that they overlap a lot. In Genesis chapter 21, that son of promise is born. And of course, we know that he goes by the name of Isaac. Now, when we think in particular about Isaac, Isaac comes along. And Isaac is more well known, of course, as we think about him because of something that should have happened to him. Do you remember the occasion where we find him on an altar, right? He's on the altar and he's laying there with the wood. He actually travels up. And of course, you may recall from the story, right, that there's the, the animal that's found back in the thicket whose horns are caught in the thicket because we really remember Isaac when it comes to the fact that he was supposed to be a sacrifice. That not only did Abraham trust God to get him out, he moved because God told him to, but also God tells him to sacrifice his son, his son of promise, and he's willing to go through with that. As you work your way through Genesis chapters 21 through 35, which is where we find the story of Isaac, we know that Isaac finds Rebekah, right? Rebekah is going to be, come along and be his wife. And the Bible calls her very beautiful to behold. Like his parents before him, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah are childless for a while. And after praying to God... And asking him about this fact that they are childless, together they're blessed. Not with one, of course, but with two sons. You remember them not only because they're blessed with child, but because they're blessed with twins. Genesis chapter 25 and verse number 25 tells us that the first one came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out. And his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And of course, when we think about this third man that we're going to talk about, 
Jacob. Jacob comes along and there are so many things that happen between Jacob and Esau. Perhaps the most notable thing about Jacob is that he goes in with his mother to deceive his father, Isaac. He pretends to be his brother. He tricks his father into blessing him and not his brother, even though he is not the firstborn. And maybe that's what we remember most about Jacob for a while. Although Jacob, we know, meets and then loves Rachel as he's going to then meet her. And as I promised you earlier, that if you ever wondered where the name Israel came from, it's from a most notable moment in your Bible in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32 verses 22 through 32. You may recall there that Jacob has been traveling. He's been journeying slowly back home. After he deceived his brother, he's gone. And he's headed back to his brother, slowly working his way through the land. And one night, as they're traveling back, he is alone. And a man appears, right? You remember? And they're going to then wrestle all night until the man touches the hip socket of Jacob and puts his hip out of socket causes it to go out of joint, and it seems as if Jacob knew, and as you can almost tell in the way we used to visualize these people, that this was no ordinary man. So Jacob is probably shrewd or wise here. He says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. So the man blesses him and tells him that he shall have his name changed to Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. We mentioned how Jacob, who is then going to become Israel, loved Rachel. But if you know that story, you know that not only did he love Rachel, but her sister, Leah, is involved. The sister's maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpha, are also involved. And what we end up, of course, with are these 12 young men. Not the same 12 young men, of course, who went spying in Canaan, but these 12 young men, the 12 sons of Jacob, or the 12 sons of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, are three of the men that you need to know about when you go through your Sunday school catch-up in the Old Testament and think about some mountaintop moments. The children of Israel, and that name Israel, are just that. They're children from Jacob, who came from Isaac, who came from Abraham. And I've got a graphic on the screen that I know is going to be too small for you to see and really make out. But you begin to see that before we move on from these three great men, that they are key because we can trace their ancestry. If you can make it out from your seat, there's some red letters. It goes all the way back to Noah in the top left-hand corner. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem is at the top. And we move down through some of these names that are familiar until we get to Terah in the middle of the screen and down to Abraham. And then we go Isaac, Jacob, And down here in the bottom right-hand corner in the red are the 12 sons of Jacob or Israel. And yes, remember this because it will come up in our next lesson on our Sunday school catch-up. It matters when we think about one of the promises that we're fixing to talk about and more importantly, that bloodline that was protected. Now, in your bulletin, if you have a copy, we said we were going to talk about three men and a promise. That made for a catchy title, but the truth is, it's more than just one promise. We could kind of sum it up by saying this great promise, but it involved three different things that are important when we think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
The first one that we think about is from Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to notice here, first of all, where they are said to Abraham. And it is the nation promise. In Genesis chapter 12, in verse number 2, God says to Abram at the time, I will make you a great nation. And Abraham did not see this promise fulfilled. But we see that it is fulfilled in Exodus. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 and verse 5 and verse 6. Exodus chapter 19. Abraham was not able to see it. And by the way, that's going to be a theme of the lesson this morning. But Abraham did not see the nation promise fulfilled that there would be a great nation. But we see that it was. Because we know what will come later in the book of Exodus with Moses and the children of Israel. So God says, I will make you a great nation. That is a promise, and it's a promise that God holds to. Number two, there is the land promise. Now you've got to jump down to Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 7 to see this laid out. Also in chapter 13 and verse 15, it's mentioned as well. But in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 7, I don't know how closely you've ever read this section before, but in verses 1 through 3, God makes these promises to Abram, but the land promise actually comes after verse number 4 where Abraham departs. You see, he leaves and he goes toward the land of Canaan. We see that in verse number 5, that they travel to this land of Canaan. And when we, they get there in verse number 7, The Lord appears to Abram and says, to your descendants, I will give this land. Now, once again, Abraham is not going to see this promise fulfilled. This promise is fulfilled when the children of Israel, who were the children of Isaac and the children of Abraham and the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, this promise is fulfilled when they conquer and they possess and they divide the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. See, we've got to go all the way forward through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, into Joshua before this promise is realized. At this moment, Abraham is standing in the land, looking across the land, and God says, I will give this land to your descendants. But Abraham's not going to see that fulfilled. And if you've ever wondered about the land of Canaan, when you've always said, well, people talk about it, we sing about it, we talk about it, We're headed toward the land of Canaan, we say. What do we mean? Well, not this physical piece of land, but if you were to look at Google Maps here in a modern day map, you see the United Kingdom and France and Spain and Russia and Iran and all these other areas over here to the right. But right in the middle above Egypt is that little sliver of land that people are still arguing about and fighting over today. We zoom in a little bit more and we see the Mediterranean Sea and we see the names Israel and Jordan. And we hear people talk about it on the news, but maybe even a little bit different, but zoomed in a little bit more. But the great Mediterranean Sea on the left, and in the middle there's two bodies of water with the Jordan River connecting them. And from that area towards the great sea is the land of Canaan. We discussed this previously when we talked about Joshua a couple of years ago when the kids studied that for Bible Bowl. But that is where they're going to travel towards. That is where they're going to possess. And that is God's promise. That land to them. That is the land of Canaan. Abraham stood there and viewed it. And it's not until later that the children of Israel make it back to possess it. And it's a wonderful piece of land. It's, it's exciting to think about, especially as we think about the Old Testament. 
But if you'll put a pin there for just a second, we're going to come back and talk about that specific patch of land in just a little bit when we make some application. So we've got the nation promise and the land promise, but the third promise is the seed promise. Now we go back to chapter 12 and the first three verses to see this. It's slightly rephrased in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 18. But God says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul would write in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 16. It's a good notation to make. I don't know if you want to write in your Bible right there and see that. But Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Paul would write that the promise of a seed pointed toward Jesus the Christ. Paul says there in Genesis th- or excuse me Galatians 3, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. It's actually in Genesis 22, verse 18, that that word seed is included when it's slightly rephrased there. But we do not have to wonder and scratch our heads and ask questions because Paul says it plainly by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And to your seed who is Christ. And Abraham, all the way back in Genesis, did not have to have his eyes open and he did not have to understand everything in that moment. But God is telling him that through him, through his seed, through his offspring, the Messiah, the Savior would come into the world. That is the seed promise. And it's so much greater than this nation. It's so much greater than the land. But the seed promise is a wonderful thing to consider because we know then. And again, it takes Paul helping tell us later, but we can understand God's plan from Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 22. And even going back to Genesis chapter 3, as we'll mention in just a few moments, we see God's plan. Abraham wasn't enlightened in the sense to just understand it all and to have it laid upon him that he would know. But what an amazing moment when God says to him, That you will be blessed because through your offspring, the world can be saved. Everyone has an opportunity to know salvation. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. We said three men and a promise for your title, but it's really three men and three promises. And so we're going to notice here finally this morning, three applications or three lessons Some of you have already figured out this is a good way for me to work nine points into my lesson without you even noticing. But yes, nine points this morning. Three lessons, and then this lesson, this sermon, will be yours. Number one, everything, everything written from Genesis chapter 12. And again, we talked about this idea of post-flood and pre-flood. I know that's not Genesis 12. But everything from when God utters those words to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 Everything from that moment to Revelation is connected to these three promises made by God to Abraham. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this. This may be something you can jot down. But these three promises are actually repeated to each of these three men that we've talked about. To Abram, it's given in Genesis chapter 12. To Isaac, it's given in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 5. Genesis 26 
1 through 5. To Jacob, it's given to him at Bethel in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 and verse 10, and then verses 13 through 15. So three times it's actually repeated, given first and foremost to Abram and Abraham, but also then repeated to Isaac and to Jacob. Everything written is connected to these three promises. Now, in the Old Testament, we think a lot about the nation promise. That promise was Israel, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Jacob. That is important. This nation promise, because so much of the Old Testament is about them. We talk about Egypt and Babylon and Assyria and all these other people, but it's about this nation of God's people, this nation promise. Abraham doesn't see it, but it's fulfilled. And so in the Old Testament, we see a lot that's connected with that promise. We think a lot about the land promise, right? So much time in the Old Testament is spent moving towards and fighting for and trying to get in and trying to stay in the land of Canaan that that land promise is important. Whether it's Abraham traveling there, whether it's the children of Israel traveling there with Moses and with Joshua, whether it's the whole book of Joshua where they're fighting for the land and possessing the land and conquering the land, or whether it's what we just talked about with not only Assyrian captivity, but Babylonian captivity. And then Ezra and Nehemiah, as they're trying to get back to the land, so much of the Old Testament is about this land promise and the land of Canaan. But in the New Testament age, in the Christian age, we might say, neither fleshly Israel, Jews, the nation promise, nor the territory, the dirt, the land, in the land promise, the land that was once known as Canaan. In the New Testament age, neither one of those things are as important. They're not of the utmost importance. In the New Testament, we see that it is the seed promise. The Lord Jesus as the center of attention and what is important for God's people today. Those promises are great. We need to know them and understand them. And again, so much of the Old Testament is caught up in them. But when we get to the New Testament age, the Christian age under which we're still living today, it's not about that dirt. And it's not just about those people, but it's about this seed promise. Because everything, everything written is connected to these promises. Number two, we see that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his will. By the way, this is going to be a major theme through the rest of the Old Testament. I'm not sure how long this series will go. As we've done, we'll kind of come back and forth to it. And I don't know how, how much we'll cover or how many lessons it will take. But one of the major themes, and of course not just the Old Testament, is that God uses imperfect people. Even these three great men, right? Abraham, who lied about Sarah being his wife. Isaac. Who, who, by the way, remember Abraham did it twice. And then Isaac follows right in his parents' footsteps because he does it in the same way. When Abraham does it in Genesis 26 and says that Sarah was his sister, Isaac does the same thing later. And then Jacob, who was deceiving, right? He lied to his father, straight up lied to his father. Even these three great men are imperfect. But outside of his perfect son who, by the way, was not just sent with a hedge around him, right? He wasn't just protected from every sin and every little thing. He did not reign as a perfect hero, 
But he was in all points tempted as we are. But outside of his perfect son, God has always used imperfect people to accomplish his will. Now, we have to be careful because no one is suggesting that we should stay in sin. In fact, I saw the post again on Facebook yesterday. I've seen it before. You've probably seen the similar thing about how Jacob lied, Moses murdered, David had an affair. And here's the thing. Those things are not wrong to say. I'm not suggesting that, that those are lies or not true. That's, that's perfectly fine to say. But we also need to realize that no one can continue sinning, right? Th those men did those things. And yes, we do things. We mess up. But we cannot continue in sin. But at the same time, yes, we don't have to be perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect to accomplish his will. God has used and continues to use imperfect people to accomplish his will. And then number three, we must keep looking forward. We must keep looking forward. If you're following along in your Bible, can I invite you to turn forward to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 11. It is the hall of fame of faith or the hall of fame of the faithful. But we see that Abraham, if you've ever considered these people and these promises, have you realized that Abraham did not see these things fulfilled? If someone made a promise to us, hey, you know what, Gabe, I'm going to give you a million dollars, right? I'm going to give you a million dollars. Then Gabe dies, and I've never given a million dollars. He's going to wonder what in the world's happened, what's going on. We do that sometimes with our own promises, but that's not the way God works. No, Abraham did not see them fulfilled, but that does not mean they were not fulfilled because God made these promises. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8, we begin to see about Abraham. And I love the phrase in verse number 10, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, the nation promise is great. The land promise is great. But we're talking about the seed promise and the hope of heaven. You look forward to Hebrews 11 verses 13 through 16 and you see Abraham was waiting for that hope. He desired something better. He was constantly looking forward. Abraham did not see the land. Abraham did not see the descendants. But neither did Isaac. And neither did Jacob. But Abraham and the others looked forward and they knew that God keeps his promises. And we are like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have not seen God's promise fulfilled in the same way in one sense. But God is faithful. He will never leave us. And we can see where he did fulfill other promises and know that he will fulfill his promise of a home in heaven if we are found faithful. We sang it. And I always ask you, did you mean it? This world is not my home. I am looking forward to something else, to something better. When we look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we know and we can understand that they did not see it all fulfilled, but they kept looking forward. God told him to get out of his homeland, and he did. God told him to sacrifice his son, and he was willing to up until the moment. They weren't perfect, but they kept looking forward. And we need to do the same. Remember that we are looking at some of the mountain peaks of the Old Testament. There are many things that happen in and around these peaks that we won't have time to get to. We skipped over the Tower of Babel. I love that lesson. I have one I've done on it before, but we had to skip over it. 
We skipped over Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. We did talk about that a while back when we went through the names of God. Jacob and Esau and all of their interactions. Through these peaks, though, we can see God. We can learn about him and how he interacts with man. And hopefully, all of these lessons will continue to cement in your mind a picture or an overview of the Old Testament. We can see these things that we might have heard before, we might have forgotten about. But we, I've been wanting to get, to get get together a full timeline that we can kind of then reveal piece by piece as we think about these mountain peak moments and we think about exactly the big picture of the Old Testament. And of course, as we said earlier, from Genesis, we see Jesus. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 there in the garden and the fall of mankind and God begins to speak about this seed in Jesus. A few pages forward, you get to Genesis 12 and God's talking about Jesus, this seed. This morning, we think about Jesus. You see, as we said, the dirt doesn't mean anything. Being born a Jew does not mean anything in the same sense as it did in this time period that we just talked about. But it's being a child of God, washed in the blood, having your sins cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, we sing to encourage you. We appreciate, as Gabe prayed just a moment ago, that if there's someone here this morning who has put this off or has more questions that you would ask this day so that you can make that most greatest decision that there is to consider, to become a child of God, to be added to the church, not by a vote, not by anything we do here, but by the Father above. He can add you to his church and you can begin to live faithfully. But as many of us know, that's difficult. That's hard. And just like the children of Israel, which, by the way, is a wonderful reason that we can look back at the Old Testament and see that people make mistakes. People mess up. But we can come back to him. And if you're here this morning and you are a child of God, but you've wandered away, we sing as well to encourage you that you would do what's right, that you would confess your sin and come back to him. He would restore you and make you whole. We would love to pray with you and for you, even now as we stand together and as we sing.